0: Try to stay as flexible as you can and get a primary discipline. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Ballworks Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson.
1: Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here at the lovely Capital Girls City Center with Marty Stetzer, president of EKT Interactive. How are you?
0: Fine, Paige. How are you on this rainy day?
1: Um, Well, it it, drop, What? 15 degrees in like a matter of an hour, the AC was on. It was 80 degrees. Don't
0: you just love Houston? Oh, I do. I yeah. do,
1: regardless. <laughs> so, before we get into it, uh, I wanted to remind everyone to please support the show by leaving a review on iTunes. And I wanted to also read the newest five star review from it looks like fellow podcaster Ryan Ray Sr. Love Paige's show. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Ryan. That means a whole lot coming from you. But before we dive deep into your current role, Let's kind of discuss how you got to where you are, Marty.
0: That may take a little while. I'm not sure how long we have.
1: Well, I have plenty of batteries, so I think, I think
0: we're good. Well, but good. I'm not sure how long they'll listen. <laughs> I was really lucky. After uh, engineering school and graduate school in business, I joined Exxon. Started out in New York, uh, where I met my wife. We had our first son. And then uh, I started out in refining and facility planning. We were lucky enough to be picked for a refinery startup in Singapore. So off we went with a new wife and a new baby and spent four years there. My second son, Doug, was born in Singapore. Oh, wow. And we left the refining side of the business, and I was moved to Houston by that time. Esso had moved their office to Houston, much to the chagrin of
1: my— You're dating You you're dating, you're, you're dating S, yourself.
0: exactly. Much to the chagrin of my New York wife as well. We spent uh, three years in Houston, then I was off to Australia, ended up running Esso Australia's marketing department. Our third son, Max, was born here, and we went to Australia, spent three wonderful years there in Sydney. Then my assignment was back to New York with Exxon, but I was always interested in the upstream side of the business. The downstream was always a you know cost-cutting side. We used to say in the refinery, we watched every part of the pig, including the squeal, because it was such a competitive business. And I had the opportunity to join the Superior Oil Company, which at the time was the largest independent, which is, of course, dating myself again. (laughs) And I told Kath, well, this will be just like another foreign assignment. You know, we'll learn the language and learn about rodeo, and we won't be here very long. That was 1980, been here ever since. And we stopped moving, and we stopped having sons, and I'm not sure what was related to which. (laughs) But we have three sons, they're all grown now, and I then... Stayed in the upstream side of the business until Superior was merged with Mobile. Loved the business and had the opportunity to go over the service supply side of the business. In a downturn, i got to be honest, I learned more in working with Wilson Industries in 18 months where your cash flow is not guaranteed than in working with oil companies for, you know, 15 years where the cash flow is always there. It's up or it's down, but it's always there. So that was a real experience. At the end of my time at Wilson, I always wanted to try something on my own. My dad was an independent businessman, raised a big family, and he always said, Marty, companies will never pay you what you're worth. But lately, I, I said, maybe, Dad, they are paying me what I'm worth, you know, because this being on your own is really a tough road. Oh, yeah. Did my first consulting in a series of engagements, uh, fell in love with the consulting side of the business, joined PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, spent 13 years in the energy practice, ended up as the director and and leader of the supply chain practice, did projects all over the world, and got pulled out of PricewaterhouseCoopers to join Slumbergay, business consulting side. So it's been really an interesting career for me. I've done almost everything in the business from project front-end refining to uh, trying to figure out how to sell stuff to the oil and gas industry from the service supply side. But what got me where I am is that almost every project or assignment I had was either in a startup or turnaround situation. So I ended up training or working for trainers as we were hiring new staff, reorganizing parts of the business. And I, again, was really lucky. I worked as a young engineer for a senior organizational development training guy at Exxon. Really, really taught me a lot. So over time, I kept developing training courses and kept working on projects where uh, training and implementation was part of, let's say, a new system implementation and uh, developed my own materials in oil and gas for a client, but got the intellectual property rights to those materials. And that's become kind of the basis for our currently very popular Oil 101. Yeah. yeah. A, series, a series of 10 modules on how the industry works. So I'm hoping your listeners are still listening.
1: (laughs) I'm sure they, yeah, I'm sure they are. So other than the downturn, what what were some of the real challenges you've had to face?
0: The challenges with any startup are twofold. One is uh, getting people to believe in what you're trying to do and supporting your objective. And the second is always financing. How do you get enough money to run the business and do the projects. Because whether you're as small as EK2 Interactive or as big as PricewaterhouseCoopers in consulting, you're always torn because when you're marketing, you're not getting paid. And when you're on projects, you're not marketing. So inevitably, while you're on projects, your marketing kind of slips. And then you're trying constantly to look for the next project. And if you don't keep that marketing presence... You're really in trouble because consulting, especially whether it be for me or whether it be for PricewaterhouseCoopers, consulting is bought. It's not sold. In other words, if you don't want a consulting project, I'll never talk you into it. Right. But the important thing is when you decide to do something, you got to remember me. So you're constantly out there talking about what you do, presenting at conferences, attending as many training classes as you can to find out what's going on currently. Things like that to try to keep a marketing presence while you're continuing to service your clients. I think that's probably the biggest challenge that I ran into. And that's true whether the market's up or the market's down. It's a lot tougher when the market's down.
1: Yeah, I can see that, definitely. Okay, so now that we know where you started and a little background on that, and we've kind of gotten a little piece of what EKT does, but can you kind of go into the plethora of, of stuff that you guys do?
0: We were formed in 2010, And EKT stands for energy knowledge transfer. And the interactive side means that we're trying to bring as much interactivity to the training material as is demand by the type of audience that we're dealing with. And we started out with a project for a major oil company in the Gulf of Mexico and decided to do what the world calls a blended model. We did train-the-trainer classes for the Louisiana folks who taught the classes. We did 30 classroom-based training courses. And this was a system implementation, quite complicated. And when the, the training was done, we decided to build a digital version of the material, uh, brought folks back to our studio, and built an electronic and e-learning deliverable associated with that training so that it could be used on the platforms. There were 14 platforms in the Gulf of Mexico. Each of them had a different infrastructure. And in the Gulf of Mexico, Your production data and your drilling data has first priority, and your training data has kind of way down the list. So we developed these DVDs to be used right on the platform.
1: Oh, that's that's really great. And then it's not taking up the bandwidth out there. That's right. Yeah.
0: Right. And in addition, we put together train the trainer guides and quick reference guides. And I came out of a refinery and we took our quick reference guide actually and laminated it on both sides and put a little ring on the end of it and gave him a Sharpie and told him to hang it on the end of the console because that's where, that's the only thing anybody's going to (laughs) read. And that worked pretty well. But as part of that, I realized that when we started doing video, I'm a mechanical engineer. What do I know about video? (laughs) So, uh, I was introduced to Dr. Jerry Waite over at the University of Houston, the digital media program, Uh and went over to see if he could help me with some interns or candidates, and he talked me into becoming part of his industry advisory board, so I've been on the board since 2011, and we've had probably a half a dozen interns and some graduates and even a couple of professors, adjunct professors, helping us out. And the advantage of of having them is they bring the video and the audio skills. And my agreement is I'll teach you a little bit about the industry, so that if you it's come, it's a fair out, trade. Yeah, if you come out and you're interested in being part of any part of the industry, at least you will understand the basics. And that's worked out pretty well. That's worked out really well. So that's how kind of where we got where we are. And that's the word interactive and. And where it comes from we try to do two things with our training number one make it interesting so people finish it and number two make it memorable so that you know how to use it when you're not in the classroom
1: yeah so is it okay so you said software implementation so is it other training stuff like as far as what's required to be out on the platform or some kind of help guide
0: a little bit of both the software implementation were some of the biggest projects we did the software that we did for the company in the Gulf of Mexico was a production allocation system and the operators are required to put in the actual flows every day to make sure that the uh, volumes are captured correctly so that the, the partners and everyone are, are billed and, and get their joint interest mm-hmm. um, billings taken care of correctly. That was a big shift for them. They, they kind of knew where this data came from, but they honestly didn't know where it went. And this system was quite, quite tightly integrated. Well, and, and
1: yeah. the reason I asked that, and I know exactly what you're speaking of, because I used to be a senior regulatory specialist. Mm. So I used to take that information and report it to Bessie.
0: Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I kind of have an idea. The second biggest area that we've done uh, a lot of system implementation work is in the downstream, the commodity supply trading side of the business. Again, on both the uh, physical side, how the the, uh, barrels move through the system all the way to gallons being loaded on the tank truck. And today and even years ago, you were able to hedge your bet using the NYMEX and the other exchanges. Today, a lot of that's electronic. And that system is quite almost quite as complicated as the production allocation system. With a little more variability because in the trading side of the world, every day is a new deal. What you did yesterday really doesn't matter because right. you wake up and the NYMEX is telling you the world is different. So those are the typical system implementations. And it's almost like you learning Microsoft 2010 versus 2003. Oh, You know, every new system is a major change, no matter how big or little it is. And everybody, I shouldn't say this, everybody. So it's it's almost
1: like going from a Windows to a Mac.
0: Windows to a Mac, perfect example. And you know how helpful all the help screens were when you tried to do that, right? (laughs) Yes. But now, today, uh, I used to search Google, now I search YouTube first. And it's amazing how much is out there to help you with that kind of transition. Oh, yeah. But... Not on the scale of, let's say, BP trying to upgrade their supply trading system inside a company. A little bit different animal. With that, we also did a series of new hire onboarding programs uh, for Shell and for ConocoPhillips. And discovered like we did on the system projects, that there's tons of really good training out there for the geotechs or for the engineers. But the audience that seems to be missed is the IT folks the accounting folks, the regulatory folks, the marketing folks, the legal folks who are often dealing with operations and don't know what they're talking about. We then decided with all this knowledge to kind of focus on the non-geotech market. There's really good providers of geotech training out there, Petra Skills, IHRDC, Next, you name it. And uh, even we think context is really helpful before you would take one of those classes. Given a commercial on my stuff, I guess, because we did training for a large IT organization. Some senior people were in the class. It was the fundamentals of upstream, you know, exploration, drilling, and production. Yep. And I went to a couple of the guys after the class and I said, why are you here? I mean, why aren't you up here helping me train? And the great answer was, Marty, in 30 years, I knew product catalogs. I knew part numbers, but I never knew why the well was being drilled. Wow. So that's there's still a lot of context missing, I think, in the technical training.
1: Well, and it, it's funny, when I launched this show, my sister asked me, can you explain the industry to me so I can understand what I'm listening to on your show? And I was like, well, actually, <laughs> that's a that's a loaded question. And uh-huh. check out Oil 101. Well, thanks. So, well, I mean, I even looked through it. I was just like, "This is this is basic stuff. This is stuff, I, it took me a really long time to understand myself. Right. And so I definitely have to commend you on being able to take such, such a big thing and translating it into a general language in a very small space.
0: Well, thanks. The other thing that we tried to bring into it, and thanks to my career and Exxon and Superior and Schlumberger and everybody else, is... The integration of the industry is rarely understood, and the impact of the integration. For example, as I was reading the oil and gas journal daily uh, that came out, Canadian crude production cut because of lack of pipeline capacity. This happened in the Marcella Shale when we did a project for the firemen. So if you're a drilling and production company or a service company – you should be watching how the pipelines are being built because if you can't move the crude or natural gas, you can't drill the wells, and you can't drill the wells, and you can't do the fracking. And I mean, it's so integrated. And then people forget about the refining side and how important refining is because you can't run crude oil in your in your BMW. Right. It has to be converted <laughs> to usable usable products. And right now, the types of crude that are coming out of the shale are considered light and sweet, which are very attractive. Right. But a lot of our refineries are, quote, heavy sour. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that crude is being exported. So if you don't understand the export markets and supply trading, a little bit of hedging, at least to understand what kind of some of the key drivers are, you could be limiting your perspective on how you run your business. I know that's a lot to swallow because just getting the well drilled and completed is hard work. And it oh, really yeah. requires tons of technical orientation. So maybe your geotechs don't need it, but your your strategic planning folks, your marketing folks, your business, uh, development. business development folks, yeah. they might be able to use this broader perspective on the entire industry, not yeah. not just uh, the drill bit. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be?
0: I guess number one is the industry all is... is totally cyclical, every piece of it. And when the surf's up, be careful. Make sure that you put stuff away, watch your business, stay current, because the downturns are inevitable in a commodity business. The other piece of advice for young people is, and this may go against college education, but try to stay as flexible as you can and get a primary discipline. So for example, I'm a mechanical engineer, but my minor is in heat transfer and fluid flow. Hmm. And if you're a petroleum engineer, and love petroleum engineer. try to get another, maybe something in project management. Or petroleum engineering underground, believe it or not, is similar to chemical engineering in a reactor. So try to stay as broad as you can and as deep as you can while you're in school. And that sounds hard to do. It really is. Because otherwise, you are going to be at the whim of the cycle. We've had a number of of folks who signed up for a saying of, I'm coming out of UT or A&M and I'm a petroleum engineer. What should I do? I says, if mom and dad will let you stay another semester, get some physical chemistry, get some project management, because right now uh, there's $150 billion worth of chemical plants being built in the Gulf Coast. So I guess the bottom line is if you've chosen a field, don't just think because you got that BA with that credential that that's going to work for you. If you're in middle management, learn all the pieces of the business. This downturn has been devastating to geotechs, and they seem to have no... Other avenue to go at this point in their careers. And it's because their work is so tough. I mean, it's really hard to get uh, oil and gas out of the ground at 20,000 feet, hang a left and go another 10,000 feet, right? But keep your own portfolio as broad as you can do it at the same time that you can do it. The other part for middle managers, and, and this is different than somebody coming out of school, is never let your network die. Always stay in touch, and the broader the better. And that means schools church groups, other companies, go to conferences, stay in touch.
1: I'm perfect example of networking works and not letting that network die. And that's how I ended up with a podcast. I was I'll laid, be I was laid off and uh, I just didn't stop.
0: That's great. Yeah. That's just great. So you've seen you've seen the downturns. I've been through at least two.
1: I haven't been in the industry that long, that long. but I do remember when my dad was in the industry in the eighties. That was tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, neighborhoods in Houston were boarded up. It was terrible. And it took a long time to come back. That's why the other uh, point I wanted to make is even in our own training arena, you have to be aware of the possibilities for adapting. So for example, when the 2014 downturn occurred and I heard a number of senior guys, especially the shale guys say, well, this will be over in no time. I knew better and I'm sure they knew better. So we shifted away from these big system implementation jobs and new hire training jobs to web delivery. That's where Oil 101 came from. And uh, moving more into a retail space, which is extreme another different world that we're still learning about. But we've had good following, like your audience, new hires, international, uh, some middle management people, some senior guys and gals. So we think we're on the right track with this target market. Now the, the question is, how do we leverage where we are today? And the last piece of insight that I would love to figure out how to to come up with is the role of energy in the green revolution. So for example, you can't build a Tesla with a windmill powering the plant. Or uh, the
1: pieces that are the Tesla.
0: Exactly right. Or the carbon fiber and all the plastic and all that stuff has to come from oil and gas. A lot of people don't know that Every major transformer at every power station has transformer oil in it to cool it. So I think the industry is is kind of below the radar on everything that they provide to make everything else work so from the standpoint of young people still in interested in the industry the technology is unbelievable the opportunities are there because like a lot of other industries uh, a lot of our senior people are retiring and uh so don't discount it if you have that kind of engineering stem orientation and don't want to code don't give up on oil and gas
1: very good what book would you say has influenced you the most
0: it was Tom Peters in Search of Excellence when I was working for a company, and this would probably fit a number of the folks who are listening who are already part of a company. The steps that he outlined in when he analyzed a series of companies on why they survived and why they did really well were true on what we were able to do in our company because of the leadership, innovative leadership. And I didn't read the book before I started working with a company. I read the book after I left the company and said, man, I sure wish I would have read this book while I was in the company, because it gave me the steps that we needed to be innovative in a large environment. Even though I'm not in a large environment today, that book has been probably the one that has affected me the most.
1: Awesome. What would you say is your most used business tool?
0: My most used successful business tool is the phone. My most used business tool is email. But I find that there's too many emails, whether it be LinkedIn-based or iTunes-based or or whatever. And I learned from a really solid business development guy, use the phone. And I've taken him at his word often, but not as often enough. So that's uh, kind of where I stand on that.
1: Great. Who is your most respected competitor?
0: I'm not sure I found one in our target market. One of the strongest folks that I've dealt with, and I really admire what they do, is in the downstream. It's the Oxford-Princeton group. They have a really good combination of bringing in senior folks, running really good classes, uh, global reach, good high-level perspective on the full value chain, and uh, have moved into the e-learning world. But I don't think they're as progressive yet as we are, or some other folks are. In the upstream side of the business, I haven't found an integration of the business and the technical, and I keep saying because the technical is really hard to keep up with. So that's why I kind of use Oxford-Princeton as my model when we talk about who would like to be as big as.
1: What is your most important lesson learned?
0: Over time, and the bottom line is working too hard and letting the family slide is really a mistake because time passes quicker than you can think. So I felt as the breadwinner, I came out of that generation where the breadwinner did one thing and mom did the other thing. Where today's generation, I am seeing a lot of women as the breadwinner and dad as uh, Mr. Mom. And that looks really neat to me because they've been able to bring that balance a a little bit better than I was able to do. I was always driving the uh, work side, I think, a little too long, a little too hard.
1: Yeah, yeah, I understand that. What's your favorite podcast?
0: It's going like another commercial. <laughs> My middle son, Doug, who is the instigator of, of helping us build oil 101, is in Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Loves it. And uh, he's come up with a new podcast station called Colorado FM. Oh, that's cool. And he called me. And he says Dad, you got to listen to this podcast And it turned out that he got a podcast with one of the last living explorers who skied across Antarctica what? you know one of these kind of guys yeah and it turns out Boulder seems to be a magnet for interesting people like that. So that is
1: uh, super neat Isn't
0: that super neat? Doug has helped us not only with Well 101 but moving us into the podcast arena and to see what he's able to been able to do and uh, with his Colorado FM and the kind of folks he's been able to attract has really been impressive. Oh,
1: that's so cool. I'm going to have to check that out.
0: Yeah, i would love it.
1: Awesome, yeah. awesome. Okay, so now I need to make sure I remind everyone to, uh, to sign up every week to win a $200 steak dinner from the Capital Girl. Enter your information, and as always, I'll provide a link in the show notes. Also, I can't go any further without mentioning my wonderful sponsor. As the relentless protector of those that power the world, Bulwark is the leader, not to mention the largest manufacturer of flame-resistant clothing globally. So once you've signed up for that steak dinner, be sure to check out rest of Bulwark's website to learn more. Uh, Events on deck. We have the Texas Open Innovation Conference, March 28th through 29th in Houston, Texas. IADC-SPE Drilling Conference and Exhibition. March 4th through the 8th, also in Houston, Texas. LNG 2018, April 1st through 5th in Shanghai, China. Machine learning and oil and gas, April 18th through the 19th in Houston. The BPMS 150, April 6th through 7th, and that's Houston to, I believe, LaGrange, Texas, right outside of Austin. Great cause, and I'm pretty sure at least some of our group will be there. International Conference on Petroleum and Petrochemical Technology, April 23rd through the 24th in Boston, Massachusetts. And of course, the Offshore Technology Conference, April 30th through May 3rd in Houston, Texas at NRG. Thank you again for joining me, Marty.
0: Paige, thank you for the opportunity.
1: If people want to reach out to you and get to know more about EKT, how can
0: they go about doing that? www.ektinteractive. just like it sounds.
1: Perfect. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door.
0: Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.